Hey, this is Kevin, the student pastor at Short Church Again. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We strive each week to bring relevant, practical, biblical teaching that meets you where you are. To stay up to date with what's going on at the church or to support the mission financially, head over to scog.com or download our app. I hope you enjoy the message. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today and thank you for this time together. We ask you to open our hearts and our minds and our souls to you this morning, that you would inhabit this place, that we come in contact with you, that our lives and eternities would be changed. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, you can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, if you want to put a finger there, we'll be there in a few short moments. We're concluding a series here at the church uh, called Reach, Grow, and Serve. It is a bi-yearly series in which we explore what the vision uh, here at the church is, where we take some time to slow down a little bit and just jump fully into who are we? What are we trying to be about? What What are our, if we say we come to Shoreward Church of God, what does that mean for us? Uh, what does it mean if uh, we're going to be a part of this body? <clears throat> what does that look like? What is God calling us uniquely to do in Shorewood? He's put us in this place between a school and a firehouse. What does that mean for us? And so it's an important question to keep on asking ourselves and to keep on coming back to. And so that's what we're going to, we're finishing that uh, this morning. But as I was, um, First, I'll give an advertisement for next week. Uh, next week, we're starting a marriage series. So it's going to be a four-week uh, long series called The Vow. And uh, so if you are married or uh, thinking that maybe one day marriage would be for you or um, you just like some, some this is going to be a series all about that for you. It'll be helpful um, for everyone, of course, but uh, that's where we're really going to nail down into it. So talking about the promises of marriage and what does that look like? Um, for us in our in our daily life, it's going to be borrowing heavily from a book by uh, Pastor Craig Rochelle. Um, we did it as a life group curriculum last um, last year, and uh, it's just a really really good good stuff. Um, but it'll have my uh, unique take on things, uh, of course. Uh, so uh, Malia is scared to death because she put some stuff on Facebook yesterday. I was like. I'm going to, I'm going to use that. Could you give me some more? I'm going to use that in my message. She's like, I'm scared. I'm laughing, but I'm scared. Um, it was great. So we're going to have fun with that. Uh, relationship series since I've been in ministry have always been the most fun things because it's really awkward, right? And it's the hard, it's really hard stuff because if your marriage is in turmoil, you don't, you want to talk about marriage, but you also want to be like, the nervous laughter is is abundant and and it's a no elbow zone, right? If, if I say something and, uh, it's, uh, oh, that's exactly us. Do not do the whole, that's you. Uh, Don't do that. Don't do that here. Don't do that in the car ride home. Um, I've had gotten texts. Well, they, uh, uh, they did the no elbow thing until I got in the car in the parking lot. Okay. Parking lot's safe too. Okay, let's just let it be, let it sit, let it simmer. Um, anyway, uh, that's for next week, and we're going to have a whole uh, blast with that. Uh, but right now, I want to come back to this mission and vision uh, series that we're doing. Today, we're talking about the third part and serve. We've done reach, we've done grow, and we've done serve. As I was prepping for this, God really placed on my heart a passage in Philippians, and it's this, Philippians three twelve through 14. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. 
because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, I forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This forgetting what was behind and this straining to what's ahead is really what kind of kept on resonating in my brain. It kept on rattling around because as we think about our mission and our vision of the church, what we're doing is we're not ever going to arrive at a place where like, ah, we did it. Until we have 100% people in Shorewood as believers in Jesus Christ, we have not arrived. And then guess what? We got Joliet and we got Manuka and Shanahan and Morris and, and Plainfield. Those people need a lot of prayer. And we know we're just, just uh, I live there, the driving, no, I'm, it's as we do that, we have to, it, it's, we're never going to arrive at this mission. And so it's a constant straining thing. We join with Paul, not that I've been made perfect, not that I can stop, but I'm always going. And so we look at our mission statement in a little bit different light this year. Um, as God's kind of been working on my heart, I was actually asking the question of God, God, do we need to change the mission statement? We've had it for six years. Is this something that, you know, reach, grow, serve? Is it resonating? Are people can't grab a hold of that? And as I was praying through that, I was journaling through that, God's like, no, that's what it is. Keep it. I was like, okay. I was like, that was quick. Like, it was a quick answer to prayer. Like, nope, that's what it is. Actually, I was, I was praying that prayer on, on Friday. And Saturday morning, uh, you laughed because I'm going to use it. Now, I'm talk- we're at a men's breakfast, and Aaron spouts back the mission statement to me at 9 o'clock in the morning. He wasn't even awake yet. You know? And he spouts back this at this men's breakfast, and I was like, oh, that's a complete confirmation that this is what we're supposed to be doing. Because if someone else is spouting it back at me, woohoo! why would I want to start that all over again? <laughs> I don't want to do that. And it just was this confirmation, like, this is where we're at. We do reach, grow, and serve because of um, several reasons, but uh, the main one is this. It, it fits the three biggest ideas that Jesus is trying to convey in the New Testament, uh, other than uh, John 3.16, right? Uh, to reach is to go make disciples, the Great Commission. Go out to all the world and make disciples. That's reach. To grow is the, the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the serve is love your neighbor as yourself. The second greatest commandment. So you have the big three, the three pillars in which the New Testament is built on. And so that's why we use reach, grow, serve. We've tried to boil it down to its barest essential form. So that's why we use it. But the attitude in which we bring to reach, grow, and serve is this. Reach is the attitude in which we strain toward the community. We strain toward the community, and this is incredibly important because for far too long, sometimes, I'm not saying we do it as a church, but church in general has the uh, reputation that we go, ooh, towards the community, not straining towards the community, right? We want to build walls. There's this amazing, beautiful, um, I don't know if it's necessarily beautiful, but if you look at church architecture and the the 1920s to, to about 80s. If you go and look at Moody Bible uh, uh, Institute, the, the actual the, the college, it looks like it's a castle. Right? You cannot, these walls, rah, you could defend that thing. In World War III, it would be a great place. How many churches? They're beautiful. 
but they look like they could be confused with fortresses. Right. And so this is the, this is the issue. And that becomes whether architecture betrays a mindset. This is us. We're here. Er. It's not a reaching straining towards the community. It's you better get right. And then, then you can come in here. Then you can be safe. And that's not our attitude at all. Okay. That's not uh, how we, how the attitude is in, in, in anything that we do. We strain towards the community. And this is a huge leap because we like to be warm and to be safe and to be here. Because then if you're new, then I don't know you. And what does that mean? I got my own messes. Do I have to take on your messes? We're going to talk about that a little bit later today. All right. And the second one is grow. Grow is the attitude of straining towards God. Grow is the attitude in which we strain towards God. And this is incredibly difficult when life throws you curveballs. Right? Straining towards God is awesome when you're hanging out at Yosemite National Park and you're like, oh, you know, you're looking at El Capitan. God, you are amazing. It is really easy to strain towards him when you're in the, the beauty of nature or you're, everything's going fantastic in life. You're like, oh, man, God, the birds are chirping. Things are just fantastic. Where that gets a little bit difficult or a lot difficult is when things break, whether it's your body, somebody else's body, the spiritual aspects of you, uh, your kids are out of control, your parents are doing this, whatever happens when life gets crazy, it gets hard to lift that arm up and strain towards God. And so as we as a church think about growing towards God, we have to consciously think through all the frustrations, through the stuff of life, through the mess, how do we still strain towards God? And then today's is serve is the attitude in which we strain towards the community and God and try to bring them closer together. I have the mental image of Christmas vacation and pulling the light plug together. That's that's the mental image for me. And now that's in yours and you're welcome for that. Uh, but that's the, that is the attitude in which I want to have. We're straining towards the community. And we're straining towards God. And we've got to get them together. It's imperative. It has to be a burden on our lives that they have got to get together. And so that is uh, where we're coming from, where we're going as the mission of the church. Now, this mission of the church is not just Jared's mission. It's not just the staff here at the church's mission. It's not just the elders at the church's mission. It's if you call this place home. It's your mission. It can't just be a Jared thing. Oh, Jared's going to do it. Good job. Because that's not how this works. It's all of us pulling in the same direction to reach, strain towards our community, to strain towards God, and to strain to bring them together. That becomes a, a choice in which we all have to make so that we are building the kingdom of God here in this place. Not that we've arrived or not that we will ever arrive, but we will strain towards that. Forget the junk of the past. We will strain towards it in the future and in the present. So we're going to talk about serving today. This is not an ad for all the different ways in which you can serve in the different ministries of the church. If you feel so led, if you feel the Holy Spirit um, convicting you this morning to say, I really got involved, fantastic. But I'm not, I'm not, we've got children's ministry, things you can always work there, like it's amazing. It's awesome. It's effective. If you want, um, they've been doing something downstairs where they've been every once in a while, they ask uh, the kids 
to uh, what's their next step in faith going to be? If you're a parent that's had a kid downstairs, you need to ask, uh, hey, at the end of church service, did you, do you remember what, what next step you needed to take? Uh, because that led to me leading both my kids to Christ two weeks ago. Like, that wasn't Jared. That wasn't the pastor going, you know, I don't ha- I didn't have, I've never had any expectations of leading my kids. Uh, I, I've wanted to. It's been a heart cry of me. Okay, like, but it's not like I'm ramming it down their throats because I, I was a pastor's kid. It's, it's dicey, okay? I don't want to be that guy. And so um, Kendall's like, yeah, I want to be baptized. I was like, well, you got to, have you, what, what does that mean? Well, I accepted Christ, so I got to be baptized. I'm like, well, why didn't you do that? In my bed. When? Well, I was praying. She's got a stronger prayer life than me. Uh, and when, I was praying, and I felt I thought that God said, you need to give your life to me. And so I did. I was like, well, that's cool. <laughs> so that was at Southern Cafe. And I'm looking at Kelly. She's looking at me. I'm like, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. Right? And I was like, so, Bowen, what was your thing? He was like, eh, I need to pray that prayer. I was like, are you want to pray that prayer because your sister did? Because it's hyper-competitive in the twin world. It's like, no. I was like, okay. He's like, it's something I need to do. And so we, we got to do that. Because, not because they're, we're hammering, like, you've got to do this downstairs. That is not, if you spend any time with us, it's, it's all about falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus is not, like, this guilt thing at all. Um, and so it was like, how, how, what does this look like? What does that explore like? So hold up. Well, I held up my three fingers. I don't know what there was, but you need to ask your own kids. You'd be amazed at what happens. That's just my personal story of what happens in kids' ministry. If you need more, we can be here all day. But we got, I got a message I'm supposed to preach, right? But that's just kids' ministry. We got helping hands ministry that does amazing things. We got uh, the, the ushers do amazing stuff for us. The greeters do amazing things for us. The coffee stinking people supply you to keep you all awake on Sunday morning. Uh, so like, there's just amazing, amazing ministries that you can be involved in. Like I said, this is not an ad for that. Because the serving I'm talking about is this. Serving is not just something that we do. It's something that we are. It has to become a lifestyle. We offer all kinds of different ways inside the building and outside the building as on ramps on ways to just get a taste, but they're not lifestyle choices. They're just tastes. And and I hearken this back to, uh, working out. Okay. This past week I did 3.8 miles on Monday. Hoorah. I was feeling good. I beat all of last year in one day. Uh, so, so I got up on Tuesday doing this. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I got it. Got a mile, uh, 1.8 miles. Not as good, but I did it. Dadgummit. Wednesday. This is literally happened. I walked downstairs, turned on the TV, got on the elliptical and I went, nope. <laughs> like, nah, it's not happening because those first two days, you know, I'm in the, I have to choose to exercise phase, right? I have to choose to do it. I do not enjoy this. I was told to exercise so much in my life when I was growing up, you know, all the baseball practices and swimming practices and basketball practices and all that stuff that like, if I get to choose not to do that, it's real easy for me not to choose to do all that. Right? And so I, it's, I'm in a choice. I'm not at a lifestyle of fitness yet. I'm not at a lifestyle of health. I'm not. It's a choice every day. When, when, when Janice brings my favorite donut holes every Sunday morning, it's a choice to be like, only one. Only, only one, and my hand's shaking, and you know, I'm starting to twitch because I want to do this. It's a choice. I'm at that lifestyle choice. It's right now, but it's not a lifestyle yet. 
And serving is the same exact way. You, you make choices. Oh, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go to feed my starving children. I'm going to uh, uh, help set up this. I'm going to serve on Sunday morning. I'm going to do these things. And those are choices. They're fantastic choices. But there's something that has to click in us. There's something that has to be birthed inside of us to say, no, this is who I am now. Because if I'm going to love the Lord your God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, and I'm going to love my neighbor as myself, I can't love my neighbor as myself only when I feel like it or only when there's a box to check. I have to love them with who I am always. And that is a switch. That's not something easy to do, right? Because my neighbors are weird. And I'm weird. Right? It's it's hard. Things Things are testy sometimes. Dogs go where they're not supposed to go. Kids do weird things. (laughs) It has to be a lifestyle choice. And this is the, when I think about us as a church, as we reach, grow, and serve the community for Christ, that we sometimes trick ourselves into thinking that because I checked off a box, I checked off the serve portion of our mission and who I'm supposed to be as a Christian, who I'm supposed to be as a follower of Christ. And if I could choose for all of us to make this a lifestyle, what would that look like? How would that change what we do? How would that change who we are in the community? It's hard, right? It's like the exercise thing. I got to do that a long time before it becomes a lifestyle, but it's worth it. Because it's making me who I'm supposed to become. Who God has called me to be. Luke 10, verse 27 to 35. It's one of the most famous chunks of scripture there is. He answered. This is, uh, Jesus and this Pharisee are in a uh, little theological debate. Um, Word of the wise, don't get in a theological debate with Jesus. He will rock your world, okay? Um, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. The guy's going, oh, no, he backed me into a corner and he's in agreeing with me. I've lost the argument. This is what happens, right? Um, I had a, a certain p- professor, uh, Dr. Streggy. He's got a uh, mustache, and when he backed you into a corner, his mustache would twitch. You're like, Dirt, he got me uh, every time. I see his face every time, every time that happens. But he wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor, the person that lives you know, in the eight squares around me, the person on my block, only Jews, only people that look like me, only the people in my tax bracket, only the people that speak my language. Well, well, who's my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, and a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, underlined Samaritan, we'll come back to that 
as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Okay, this is stuff stuff. This is one of the most, uh, I think, famous passages in scripture. But once you start understanding the context, you dig just a little bit deeper, you see that this is hard. This is the epitome of that. The thing I'm talking about is, am I checking a box or am I choosing a lifestyle? Because this is a loaded, loaded story. Jesus is is seeing someone and going, oh man, he's so close to the kingdom of God. He answered the questions right. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbors yourself. He's right there. But this is him going, all right, buddy, what you going to do when I make it hard? When I, when I, his mustache is twitching. I don't know if Jesus had a mustache, but it'd be cool if he did. Um, I'm going to tweak it. I'm going to push it. Here we go. A Samaritan. And by just saying the words Samaritan, he would have made the crowd go, (gasps) okay, it's a loaded question. Samaritans are kind of a half breed Jew and they're, they're despised by all the Jewish people because what happens is when, uh, 400 years earlier, the Babylonian empire comes in, destroys, um, Israel as we knew it, uh, stripped the people back, all the the best of the best, stripped them and took them to Babylon. And this is where Daniel's, why he's all of a sudden in Iraq uh, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and all those guys, all those stories you're getting from because they had been taken captive and ripped out of there. The Samaritans are a group of people that got to stay. They're the lucky ones. But instead of returning back to Yahweh worship in Jerusalem, they built their own temple, did some hybrid Jewish religion, pagan religion stuff together in the absence of all the uh, religious leaders in Babylon and became this kind of hybrid Jew person. They became a, just a travesty, an affront to everything it was being a Jew. And so when the Jewish people got to come back and, and the nation's restored, it is this shunning, it is this tension, it is this racial ugh, going on there. It is Bad, 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 bad. It's like apartheid bad stuff, okay? It is, so when Jesus walks and he's dealing with, um, and he normally, when they're going down to Jerusalem, they take the long way around because they don't want to go anywhere near Samaria. Which they get to walk out in the middle of the desert to do that. And Jesus is like, this is stupid. We're walking through Samaria. Everyone's like, oh, you can't do that, right? Because he's like, this is dumb. This, this is dumb. And so he walks through there, but being a good, all the good Jews, like, no, 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 no. We're not drinking anything there. We're not eating anything there. We're not touching. We're not talking to anybody there. Nope. Because it's this just nasty religious racism that's going on. Okay. You got that. Like the nasty of the nasty is what's going on here. And so when he says the Samaritan is the hero of the story, he is just taking his fingers and going, how you like them apples? Right? That's what he's doing because the people who should be the hero of the story, the priest, he knows all the law. He knows what it's supposed to be. He knows what Leviticus says about taking care of people in need. And he says, mm, I'm not going. 
the scribe, the person who actually his job is to write down the law and pass it on to the next generation and to teach children about it, says, man, I'm not going to practice it. Right? I know the law, but I'm not going to do what it says. Nobody here has ever fallen victim to that one, right? I do. But the guy who, who shouldn't have a, know what he's doing, the, the guy who should be on the outs, the guy who should be you know, the first to say, ah, ha, ha, look at you, silly Jew. You're on the side of the road. You're half dead. It's awesome. I'm going to go tip the robbers. That guy, he's the one that comes over, fixes the guy's wounds, puts oil and, and vinegar in it and cleans it all out, puts him on his donkey and takes him to the end. You see what's going on here, why he's, he's pushing on that. Because he wants to show you what loving your neighbor really looks like is going above and beyond, breaking through all the, what you think cultural restrictions are, shattering those and loving people intently and intensely. This is what it means to be serving, not as a checklist item, but as a lifestyle. It's hard. These aren't easy things to do. But when we choose serving as a lifestyle, we, we change culture. We change community. We change people's lives. There's people in our lives, people we come in contact with <clears throat> that we may not agree with, we may not like very much, but we're still called to love them. And so when we see the hurting and we see the needy and we see the people who are lying on the side of the road, it needs to be our heart cry, our lifestyle choice to say we're the ones that will step in the gap and we will love and we will love deeply. As we choose to what does serve actually mean for this church, I think this is what Jesus is calling us to. Is to make it that lifestyle choice of we're going to be people who love. That puts you in some weird positions. That gives you all kinds of excuses. Some of you are like, well, what do you think about this one? You're already thinking that, right? And those guys are talking to Jesus we're the same way. And I've got my own hesitations. But what about this situation? The Samaritan says, you know what? I'll reimburse you whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to help. Whatever it takes to fix. Whatever it takes to nurse this guy back to health. He has no restrictions on love. What does that mean for us? It defies culture parameters. It defies what we think we should do. It's countercultural to love in this generous way. What does the Samaritan do and how can we replicate it? First thing he does is he notices. He notices. He notices. How hard is this one? This seems like the easiest sneaking step on how to love people, but he actually notices. Has anybody been through life, done something, and gone, man, I wish someone would just notice that my leg's cut off? I I wish someone would notice that I'm going through hell right now. I wish someone would notice that. Because the other two guys, the religious guys, go. Now, I'm guilty of this. I got things to do. I got places to go. I got a to-do list a mile long. And so I see something. I'm like, is it right on my scale? I'll just put my nose down go get some stuff done. I consciously have to think on a Sunday morning. I do this so much better than when I first started here. Um. Because our office used to be down where the nursery is. And so I have to run down here and do something and run back. 
and I'd have to pass every single person in the church, and I would ignore every single person in the church because I had things to do, th- people to talk to, you know, things to get done so Sunday morning can happen. Missing the fact that all the people that I'm working so hard for and so focused for, I just blew past and looked like a complete jerk. Right? You see the problem? And so I consciously, I, then I, I figured it out. I walk really fast until I exited my office and I slowed down. And as soon as I hit these gray doors, boom, I'm like I'm lightning up here and then boop, go back again and the same thing. Now it's become a lifestyle instead of a choice because I've repeated it so much. Hopefully you feel like I've noticed you a little bit more than that. But it's hard, right? When, you, you're, when you're busy, you got stuff to do. Same thing happens in, in our culture, in our community. How many people do we pass on the side of the road? Broken cars. Broken people walking through uh, Mariano's. If you just open your eyes, walking through Jewel or Mariano's or Aldi, you will see so many people who just need a laugh, a smile. Hey, can I get the peanut butter down for you? Right? If you see a five foot one woman looking up to try to get the natural, you know, jiff, just here you go. It's that easy. Right? But noticing. All the short ladies in the church. <laughs> right? It just is what it is. He notices. And we have to get better at noticing. We have to get better at noticing. We are shocked when we see it, right? We see it on the news. We're like, oh, I can't believe that happened. The same exact stuff has been happening on our block for the last 10 years. But once we see it on WGN, they're like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe that happened. He notices. Second thing he does is he takes action. He takes action. He does something about it. And I think about um, how many times do we notice something, but we're like, ah, somebody else will get there. Somebody else will do something. God, would you please send somebody else into their life to help them with that situation? That sounds like a very holy prayer. I've prayed that prayer many times. God, I pray that someone would just help Steve mock out at this time. Well, Jared, I've given you the skills and the two arms and the legs that work to do it, so why don't you get off your rear end and go do it? Now, God, would you send somebody else to help Steve mock in this situation? Right? We've hyper-spiritualized it sometimes. Well, sometimes God is saying, hey, you want to be used by me? Do it. What? I don't know. Was that heartburn or was that the Holy Spirit? I think it was I had pizza a week ago, so it must be heartburn, right? We do that all the time. I do it, you do it, but he takes action. And we've got to follow in that example to take action. It may feel weird. It may look silly. And he takes action. I, uh, there was a woman, a little walker in the parking lot of Menards carrying like 18 bags. This has happened like two weeks ago. And um, she's uh, she's obviously struggling through the parking lot. And so I walk over to her. I was like, ma'am, can I help you? Get away from me. <laughs> I was like, not trying to mug you. It's cool. It's like, she's like, please leave me alone. Like, yes, ma'am. Walked away. Now, am I never going to help an, uh, an elderly woman in the parking lot of Menards again? I'm not going to help that woman again. No, I'm... S- <laughs> um... No, like it'd be really easy for me to be like, oh, well, I tried. I'm done forever. You got to kind of keep on coming back. It takes action. Second, third thing he does is he gets dirty. He gets dirty. 
If you've ever seen a scraped knee, a busted up lip, you will always remember if you have children, the first time your little kid busts their nose. Because there's more blood coming out of their nose than you think they hold in their whole body, right? Kendall did a face first smack when she was uh, two years old into the, uh, the kitchen cabinet and just, just coming out. I'm like, oh my gosh, like she's going to bleed out right now. They're not going to bleed out from a nosebleed, I promise you. But it feels like that, right? You're going to get messy. You're going to get dirty. And as I'm gross with our, our, our blood illustration, the same thing happens to people that we meet in the community, people in a, sit in the seats here with us today, that when we start loving people, it gets messy because life is messy. It's dirty. It's grody. But we're called to strain towards people, to strain towards God, and to bring them together. So we design on-ramps to serving here at the church. But a lifestyle of loving your neighbor is up to you. How do we do this? How do we start doing the checklist so that we can start making this a lifestyle? Glad you asked. Good job. Practice compassion for your neighbor. Practice compassion for your neighbor. This is a great week for this uh, message to be done, going on. You're like, Jared, it's going to be negative 20 this week. It's not a good week for me to talk to my neighbor. Actually, it's a fantastic week for you to talk to your neighbor because if they need something, this is a week that something would break, right? This is the week the car is not going to start. This is the week that those things are going to happen. Practice compassion for your neighbor. What does that look like? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how that looks like for you. I don't know uh, how you get to, to care about your neighbor this week, unlike last week. But I know if you start praying, Lord, give me the opportunities to love my neighbor, you will be overwhelmed with opportunities for your neighbor. God, I pray for whoever the um, fire department is going for right now. I hope they're okay. I hope they're safe. I hope they're warm or whatever's happening. If uh, the house is on fire or if it's a medical emergency, God, I pray for, um, for the firefighters. I pray for their safety as they go out um, and do the good work that they do. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, we practice presence with your neighbor. We practice presence with your neighbor. That just means you actually do stuff with them. Uh, last last uh, evening, we got to practice presence with our neighbor. Uh, two doors down from us, there's five kids in the house, uh, four girls, one boy. A boy is about Bowen's age, and all the girls had sleepover buddies. The boy did not. Bo went over there. He came home about 10 minutes later. He goes, there's a lot of girls in that house. <laughs> I, t- I texted the mom. I was like, so I, f- I heard you have some uh, fun stuff happen at their house. Would Sean like to come over and spend the night? Yes, he'll be over in- after he finishes dinner. <laughs> like, <laughs> hi. <laughs> yeah, he, was, he was relieved to, uh, to be with us. Um, practicing presence with our neighbor, it was just as easy and as fun as that. You know? You want to, buddy, you need love. And I know instead of, do you know what's the most annoying thing in the world? Or one of the most annoying things in the world? One boy with like eight girls in a house. It's, you know, a minefield of how can I annoy everyone in this home? Right? And we practice presence. And he's, he's a great kid. He's a wonderful, wonderful boy. Uh, but he comes over to the house and it's like, yeah, it's a great time. 
Practicing presence is as easy as that. Nothing had to be happening. I didn't have to fix somebody's car because Lord knows I can't do it. And, you know, whatever it is. But I don't know what that practicing a presence looks like for you. But it's engaging with them. It's a great week to bust out your snowblower and help somebody out. It's a great week to help out with trash cans or whatever that looks like. Practice presence with your neighbor. The third thing is fulfill your purpose. Your purpose is to love God and love people. We've tried to get really good at one or the other. Generally, the way in which we're wired as people, we're really good at loving God and being really reflective and kind of sitting in that spot, or we're really good at being active and and, and being with people, but we're called to do both, to love God and love people. So we practice what God has called us to do. When we love people well, we're stepping into all that God has wired us for how he's shaped us, how he's made us, and we get to participate in that. So this week, no matter whatever challenges you're facing, what you've got going on, I want us to start the process of choosing a lifestyle of love, choosing a lifestyle of serving. Because it's the thing that will change this community. It'll change this church. It'll change your family. It'll change everything about your life as we strain towards the community for Christ to reach it, as we strain towards God with everything that we have, and as we strain to pull the two together. Let's pray. Ben, come on up. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this day. God, I ask you to be with us and guide us and, and, and multiply our efforts. Lord, if we're scared to death of just even thinking about what it looks like to love our neighbor, Lord, I ask you to give us peace and I ask you to give us courage. I ask you to give us discernment. I ask you to give us the ability to take no well. That we would take rejection well. That we would not cease straining towards you. That we would forget everything in the past and strain towards you in our daily walk. And how we wake up. And how we teach our kids. And how we love our wives. How we love our husbands. How we love our neighbors. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us at church this week. I hope you enjoyed this week's teaching. If you have any questions or comments, shoot an email to office at scog.com. To continue to support our mission to reach, grow, and serve our community for Christ, you can give online at scog.com or through the app. See you next week.